Amen. Thank you, Pastor Tolman. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 in our Bibles. Amos chapter 3 and verse 3 says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? Good question. Is it possible to have unity without agreement, without agreeing with one another? Agreement really is absolutely necessary for unity. You've got to be in agreement. You could have a, a very talented ball team, but if they're not in agreement on the plays they're going to run or what they're going to do, they're really not going to be successful and they're going to lack unity. Same thing is true for a church. If the church is not in agreement, then that church is going to lack unity. And so sin against the unity of a local church or sin against the unity of the church is not primarily a sin against an organization, but it is a sin against the Holy Spirit himself. Uh, It's a sin against our intimate personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the ultimate act of ingratitude, I think, uh, to, to sin against the unity of a local church. Uh, when it's an act of ingratitude when against Jesus Christ, the one who unceasingly encourages us. And he has since throughout this time that we've been saved. He's continually brought us comfort in our lives since the very moment we were saved. He's encouraged and comforted us. It's important that we see divisiveness for what it really is. It's important that we see it as God sees it. And a divisive church member is saying, in effect, Christ I'll take what you're offering. I'll, I'll accept your salvation from death and hell and forgiveness of sin for today. Um, I'll take everything that I need that you supply for me, but don't ask me to give back to you that which is so very, very important to you, which is the unity of a body of believers that we call a local church. One of, things, one of the things that I've enjoyed so much about pastoring here at Trinity Baptist, it's the only church I've ever pastored, But one of the things I've enjoyed so much is the unity and the sweet spirit of unity that you all have lived out before me for the past almost eight years now. It's been nothing but a blessing. And it's not that there haven't been disagreements here or there, but I mean, at our annual business meeting, we often serve grapes and crackers and cookies and snacks, and it's It's a time of reflection and praise and what God has done and a little look ahead at what we're looking for, how we've planned, but what we're expecting and asking God to do for the future. And uh, I have, as your pastor, enjoyed so much the unity that I have seen within Trinity Baptist Church. So this morning, it's not a rebuke, but yet really an encouragement to continue to make what is a priority to the Lord Jesus Christ, a priority in your heart. In our country, our hearts are grieved because there's such disunity. There's such divisions. There's such fracturing. And in in our hearts as Americans grieve. Well, God has a will for us as God's people during a time like this. And Satan also has a will for God's people during a time like this, too. And so this morning, I want to encourage you to continue to make unity a priority. Last week, we looked at chapter one. You remember that? 
talked about our conversation, the way we live our lives. Let it be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. We talked about magnifying the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and then he rolls into chapter 2. And remember, in the word of God, when, when the scriptures were first penned down, there were no, there were no chapter breakups. There were no verse breakups. There wasn't chapter one, chapter two, chapter. It was just one letter. Okay, so if we didn't have chapter breakups, I'd have to say, turning your Bibles to Philippians, paragraph three. Look with me down three sentences. You see it there, and I'd have to go, and you'd have to be like, paragraph. What's a paragraph? Are there indentations in this? You know, you know, I'd have to look for those things. But we we have these breakups, and so. But there, I'm saying all that to say this, there really is no division between what Paul was writing in chapter 1, magnify Christ, and now he tells us how. Or one way that magnifies the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the unity of the local church. Um, I want to look, look at chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. I'll read just four verses. It'll be our text for this morning, and then we'll pray together. In verse number one of chapter two of Philippians, he says, If therefore, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. You know, these verses, the first four verses of chapter 2, are often overlooked. We often start in chapter 5, where he says, let this mind be in you. And there, it's an incredible passage of Scripture. We often overlook the first four verses in Philippians chapter 2. And it talks about, really, the why of unity, or how of unity, or what's necessary for unity. And so I want to ask three questions this morning about unity. What's needed for unity? Is it even possible to have it? Should we, should we desire it? Why should we desire it? We'll, we'll answer some of these questions this morning. Before we do, I want, to, I want to take time to pray, and I'd ask you to pray with me. I want you to pray with me, if you would, for a man in our church by the name of Steve Molesky. Um, he, has a heart, he has heart issues that are severe, um, this Friday they put in, was it a pacemaker, a uh, new pacemaker, um, defibrillator, that's right. So um, his old one wasn't working well. They weren't sure of what his heart problems were, so they put a new one in. And when that goes off, it's a jolt uh, powerful enough to set a man on the ground. So it's quite, a, it's quite a shock to keep his heart working somewhat normally. And... Uh, not only is the pain or the heart an issue, but also the mental anguish of it, it was going off so often he was afraid to go to sleep. Okay, So you can imagine being afraid to go to sleep because you know you're going to get awakened with a big jolt. And so Friday they put a new one in, and over the since Friday it's gone off at least three times. The new one has gone off. So he's in anguish not only uh, physically, but also mentally and emotionally. Okay, So let's pray for Steve and his wife, Vicki, and we'll pray that God will bless his word in our hearts this morning. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you as a church this morning, and uh, thank you for allowing us to gather around your word. Thank you for saving us and making us a part of one body, even though we're so diverse and come from so many different places. Lord, you've saved us, and we praise your name for that. Lord, I pray for Steve. I pray for Vicki. 
and uh, he's not doing well at all this morning. Um, they have plans to make some adjustments and do some other surgeries. And really, Lord, the doctors can't seem to help him. Father, I pray that you would work in Steve's heart for revival. I pray that he'd draw nigh to you. And Lord, I pray that you'd draw nigh to him. Pray for his wife, and uh, I pray you comfort her. I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit within her, would remind her of your love for her and your goodness. I pray for their son, Tanner, graduating from high school this year. Father, he's been through a lot. I pray, Lord, that somehow through all of this, you would uh, encourage him. I pray you'd help us as a church family to be an encouragement to the Molesties. Father, you know you know your time for each one of us, our life, our lifespan. And uh, Lord, we thank you that Steve is saved. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would give him words to say as he speaks to family. And Lord, I don't know if you're going to revive him physically, keep him here longer on earth, or Lord, if you're going to take him home. So we trust you. We thank you for your salvation, that he has it, that we have it. And we praise your name for it. Bless now your word in our hearts, Lord. Uh, Father, in such a divided time in our nation's history, in such a time where we're all pulled in so many different directions, apart from one another, Lord, I pray that you would remind us of how important unity of a local church is to you. Father, may it be a priority of ours, and give us wisdom as to how to go about it. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, one thing I want to say right up front before we get into this idea of unity, there's when we talk about unity within a church, <clears throat> we might be tempted to say, well, if you're going to have unity, and I already said it, you have to have agreement. So if we're going to have unity, does that mean that we can't have any opinions or individual thoughts? If we're going to have unity, does that mean we have to set aside? We can't say anything that might be construed, you know, the wrong way, or we we can't say what we believe. I mean, what does that mean to have unity? If we're going to have unity, we have to have agreement. But uni unity is different than uniformity. Okay, this is very important. I'll say it right up front. It's possible for a church to be unified and have beautiful unity that's of the Lord, but not be uniform. Does that make sense? For instance, um, this morning, um, I wore a mask, and I do this before the early service, um, for as people come in and go out, I'll wear a mask. Some of uh, our congregants, especially in the early service, more of them wear masks. And so, being respectful or thoughtful of them, I'll wear one. On this one, this was made by Ford Motor Company, okay, and it's actually got it stamped right there, Ford. There's an oval on this. Now, is that offensive to anyone here? I don't have one that says GM. No one's ever brought me one that says GM, but we're not all GM, right? Yeah, we're, how many of you are Ford people? Can I see your hands? This is a little risky what I'm doing. All right, not a lot. How many of you are GM people? All right, a few more of you are that. Uh, Carl, you can't vote both ways. <laughs> You're married. You know how to do it. All right. 
knows how to do it. The GM guy drives a Buick, right, and a Ford. Yep, both. All right, so you can go both ways. But the true the truth is this: Can a church have unity and drive Fords and GMs? And you know, should we shouldn't we all have to? If we're gonna have unity here, shouldn't we all drive the same vehicles? I mean, let's forget Ford and GM. Let's just all get the same kind of vehicles. I made the comment earlier. Um, I mentioned Mennonites, and some of you know of Amish and Mennonites. And Amish will drive buggies. Uh, Mennonites are not as conservative as the Amish, but within Mennonite, uh, the Mennonites you have some some all kinds of things, but you have what a group of them called what, what's called the Black Bumper Mennonites, and so to to avoid worldliness. Back when we had chrome bumpers, someone decided that to avoid worldliness, that the members of the church should not drive cars. They could drive cars, but they couldn't drive cars with chrome on them because that would be worldly. I'm not mocking them or make, making this up or making fun of them. And so they, they became identified as the black bumper Mennonites. And so now today we don't there's hardly any chrome in any bumpers, right? So I've decided for unity's sake at Trinity, we're all going to paint our bumpers black, and that way we'll have unity. Now, how many of you know the fact that if we did that, first of all, you wouldn't do that, (laughs) but uh, if if we all did that, if we all painted our bumpers black, every one of us, front and back bumpers black, how many of us know that while we might have uniformity as a church, we would still lack unity? In fact, some of you would be just really mad, right? If you had to pursue paint your Mercedes bumper black, you'd just be mad at me, wouldn't you? All right. <clears throat> so it's possible to have uniformity. We could all wear the same things, okay? But not be unified or not be united. And this passage in particular talks about this truth. Unity in a local church is not obtained through uniformity. We don't all have to wear the same things. We don't have to uh, drive the same cars. We don't have to live in the same kind of houses or eat the same food, hobbies, computers, right? Uh, Same pay, same age. Wonderful thing about a church is that a church is diverse. And it's a beautiful thing. This is a wonderful thing that a church is diverse. You have old, you have young. You have middle age, you got newly married. You got people who have been married for a long, long time. You got all kinds of people within a church. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing And by the way, it's to the glory of God because only God could unify a group of people that way. It's actually a miracle of the Holy Spirit. It's something that the Holy Spirit does in in a group of people that he makes a church. It's a a beautiful, beautiful thing. I want to read a passage to you, a scripture in Romans. Would you turn there, Romans chapter 12? So leave Philippians for just a moment. We'll come back. It's not far away. Romans chapter 12 in our Bibles here this morning. So in a church, there's diversity. Why? Because God has made us different. And I like that. And you and I ought to like that. We all ought to appreciate that. God has made us different. Um, We're not talking about sin, but we're just talking about God has made us different. Romans chapter 12, I'll begin reading in verse number three, and I'm going to read down through a, a portion of this. Follow along. He's talking about different gifts that he's given to the church and how he's made us all different. And there are some other parts of this passage that are very appropriate for the day in which we're living. 
Romans 12, verse 3, the Bible says, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, all members have not the same office. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. So we're one body, but many members, many individual members. Verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, that God has given to us. Whether prophecy is a gift, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, there's another gift, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth, another gift on teaching. Or he that exhorteth, the fourth gift on exhortation. He that giveth, that's another gift, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth, that's another gift, with diligence. He that showeth mercy, yet another gift, with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. That means hypocrisy, uh, a fake kind of love. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. I'm going to read on a little bit because there's some more here. I think it'll just be good for us to hear. But he's talking about your one body, but your many individual members. You're all different. You're different. There's diversity. It's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. Is it possible for a, for a group of people to be diverse, diverse in our looks, diverse in our thoughts, diverse in our upbringing, diverse in our finances? Is it possible for a group of people to be diverse and still be united? The answer is yes. Let's read on. This is an incredible passage. Look at verse 11. He says, talking to the church, he says, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, Give him drink, for in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. He's talking to a church. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. So before we get into the main part of the message this morning, just a couple of things. Even if we all are right with the Lord, if we were all filled with the Spirit of God, there would be some diversity. Do we all understand that? Some of you are still going to drive Fords. Some of you are going to drive Chevys, right? Some of you are going to like Harley-Davidson motorcycles. You know, it's just some of you are going to do that. 
And it's okay. It's okay to have diversity within the church. And we need to know that. We need to know that. Well, if they were right with God, they'd, they'd articulate their position the way I do. They'd agree with me if they were right with God. And that brings up another thought. We're all at a different place in our lives on our walk of sanctification. We're not all in the same place of growth. We have a door in our home going down to the basement. When you open the door all the way on the back of that door, not on the back, but on the back edge of the door between the uh, hinges is where we measure the children. And I don't know, there have been some benefits and some negative effects from COVID-19, okay, and stay at home, stay safe. I don't know about your, your children, but my children just grew like crazy during that time. So Ian's almost as tall as Cindy now. If they went back to back and I said, oh, he's almost got you. And she said, no, he doesn't. And, and I said, well, yes, he does. <laughs> and it won't be long. So he grew like four or five inches. It's ridiculous. But on that door, and the truth is, they're all at a different stage of growth in their lives. The same is true for you and for me spiritually. We're all at a different place of growth spiritually in our lives. Are you okay with that? If your brother or your sister in Christ is not at the same height you are spiritually, are you okay with that? Should we be okay with that? Yes or no? Yeah, we should. We should rejoice. We shouldn't be like, I don't know what's wrong with you. Grow up. We should be okay with that. And our Heavenly Father is working. So there is diversity within a church because its members are at different stages of growth. So I want to answer three questions about unity, and I'm going to ask them, and I'll answer them from the Word of God. Number one, what makes it possible for us to have unity in the first place? I mean, is it even possible? And if so, what makes it possible? Or I could say, who makes it possible? And the answer, of course, is Christ, but he gets more specific. He doesn't just name Christ in verse 1, but he talks about what Jesus Christ is actually doing in our lives. And this is what makes unity possible in the first place. Look at it in verse number one. He says, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any vows and mercies, then in verse two he says, make my joy full, make it overflow, fill it to the brim, by being unified. And I summarize verse 2. We'll get to it in a moment. But what makes the unity in verse 2 possible is what Christ is doing in each of us in verse 1. And not only what Christ is doing in each one of us, but what Christ wants to do through each one of us in the lives of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So what is it that makes it possible? What is it that Christ is doing in us what is it that Christ wants to do through us? Well, let's look at verse 1 in a little bit of detail. The first statement in verse 1 is, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ. What's consolation in Christ? And consolation in Christ has the idea of gentle encouragement. The gentle encouragement of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. Have you ever had somebody come alongside of you and gently encourage you? Um... Jesus Christ does that in our lives. He comes alongside of us and he gently encourages us. We sometimes refer to it as the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. 
He's not rough with us. He doesn't beat us up. He doesn't belittle us. He doesn't give us that look that sometimes we give to one another. Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> no, sorry, Rob, I didn't mean to look right at you. I had to pick someone who could handle it. Could handle it. But there's a gentle encouragement of the Lord Jesus Christ. And his gentle encouragement, we've all experienced it. If you're a child of God, you've experienced this. It's the Spirit of Christ that encourages us. It's the Spirit of Christ who counsels us. It's the Spirit of Christ that who helps us and exhorts us. Have we experienced the gentle encouragement of the Lord Jesus Christ, the great blessings of his constant forgiveness? Have you experienced his constant forgiveness? I mean, the day you were saved, he took away your sins, right? He took away my sins. As far as the east is from the west, buried in the depths of the deepest sea, he gave us a new name. He calls us saints. And yet, and so to thank him for his salvation, we all chose that we weren't going to sin anymore, right? And we didn't. Right? No. <laughs> no. We have sinned since. And we have sinned greatly since and repeatedly since. And yet, he has gently encouraged us time and time again by giving us forgiveness upon forgiveness upon forgiveness. Strength. He has encouraged us with his strength and his wisdom when we're facing confusing situations and times. He's blessed us with his, he's blessed us with all of these things. He has come alongside us. We have benefited from our union with Christ because of his encouragement and because of his exhortation and because of his counsel and because of his help. And so what makes it possible for us to have unity? Well, the gentle encouragement of Christ in our lives starts in us. Look at verse one again. He goes on. He says he talks about if any comfort of love. What's he talking about? If there if there's any comfort of love, have you ever experienced this is what he's saying. He's taking the Philippian church to this reality. And he says the comforting love of Christ will motivate us to unity. It will actually bring us to unity And the word comfort there. It means to come close to one side. It means to whisper in one's ear. Uh, it has the idea of a gentle cheering, uh, a comfort. And I think of uh, a husband and wife and how a husband and wife ought to come along to one side and come close to one another. There are times when maybe the, the man of the house isn't feeling like such a man because life has completely come unraveled and he has failed in a, some, an attempt to do something, maybe to provide for the family, and the wife sits down next to him, holds his hand and whispers in, her, in his ear how much she loves him and how much she believes in him and how he's a good provider and how it's going to be okay. And God is going to see them through this and that he, she still thinks he's a bright man, even though that may or may not be completely true. But this gentle encouragement, and a husband and wife should have some of that. We as parents ought to do this to our children, by the way. I know this isn't how you thought it was going to work out, but you know what? You worked hard at it. It didn't go well. There are failures in life. We, we sometimes fail at what we do, but you know what? We get back up and you can cheer your children on. We ought to do that with one another as believers. 
And where do we get this idea? It's something the Holy Spirit of Christ does in our lives. If there be any comfort of love. And it's really a sacrificial love. It's something, and the idea would be this. We have sinned against him, and he has suffered long with us, and yet still, us having sinned against him and wronged him time and time again, he sacrificially, selflessly stays with us and continues to cheer us on and to comfort us in our failure. It's a beautiful thing. And then he talks about a partnership of the Holy Spirit motivates us to unity. You see it there in verse 1, the latter part, or the middle part still. He says, if any fellowship of the Spirit. You know, we who are saved were born again of the Spirit, born into the family of God. The Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit is the earnest, the down payment of our inheritance, which is the Lord. He is our inheritance. It, it talks about, the Bible talks about how we are sealed under the day of redemption by the Spirit and how he indwells us and that we are filled by him and that, that he, he leads us and guides us in the ways that are right. He talks about, the Bible talks about how we are, are uh, placed into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit, that he teaches us and that he comforts us and that he empowers us and that we are led by him. He equips us for service, the gifts and the abilities. He's the one who gives us those things. He cleanses us, and the Holy Spirit enables us to resist temptation. The Holy Spirit gave us God's word, and he prays for us, the Bible says, with groanings that cannot be uttered. The Holy Spirit actively works for the unity of the church, and He is. we are in a partnership with him. So when the Bible says, be ye holy as I am holy, Christ said that, we're in a partnership. It's not just a matter of Christ saying, be you holy as I am holy. Take it from there. It's, no, I'm giving you myself by my spirit who's going to go with you every moment of every day, day or night, to help you do and to be what I've called you to be and do. The end of verse number one, it tells us that the compassion of the Holy Spirit will motivate us to unity. You see it there, the very last statement in the verse one, he says this, if any bowels and mercies... Any bowels and mercies. And the idea of bowels and mercies has the idea of uh, the Holy Spirit has deep feelings for you and for me. Deep. Love. Deep love. The uh, Hebrews have the understanding that the bowels were the seat of emotion. We talk about our heart. Sometimes my staff teases me a little bit. So I'll talk about the bowels too much from the pulpit. Give me a hard time about that. But the Hebrews understood that the bowels were the seed of feeling. If you've lost someone that you were close with, that you love so deeply and so intimately, you feel it here. The grief is here. When there are even times in a time of love with with that person that God has brought in your life and you are in love with them. You feel it here. It's interesting. And so he says it in verse number one, if any bowels and mercies. So he does show us compassion. He does. He is tender toward us, merciful to us, sympathetic for us, pitiful. And he gives us tremendous care. And I'll ask us this question this morning. How committed are each one of us? to that which Christ 
cares so much for, which is the unity of the local assembly. How committed are we to what he values so much? Do we value what he values? And verse 1 is an amazing verse. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any vows and mercies, and now he's going to say, be unified. If, you, if you've experienced these things, if God's doing these things in your life, which this is the salvation of God in this life, then let the Holy Spirit of Christ who lives within you, who has ministered to you his encouragement and comfort and partnership and compassion, let him minister to your brothers and sisters in Christ through you. Love one another the way Christ loves you. Yeah, but I don't agree. I don't agree with a mass that says Ford on it. That's silly, isn't it? Kind of silly. I don't agree with that chrome bumper. Mm, so offensive. I don't agree with how they think about this or that. Well, give them some grace. Give your brother and sister grace. Because God's given you and me a lot of grace in our lives. Give one another some grace. So what makes it possible for us to have unity? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's doing in our lives. Number two question. What is absolutely necessary for church unity? What, what is it that's absolutely necessary? And, and I'm going to look to the word of God for the answer to this question. In verse number two, the Bible says this, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded. What Now, be like-minded. Like-minded with who? I don't answer that question. But like-minded with who? Does that mean we all have to be uniform in our thoughts? Or like-minded with Christ? To think the way he thinks. And that's what it means because look down to verse number five. He tells us point blank, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So it's not a matter of let us put together a great compact. You know, we'll have to do it in a scroll version or digitally. So or we could just roll it out and we'll write. I'll write something down. and We'll all sign off. that We agree completely. Never to disagree with it ever again. Well, you say that'd be. Ridiculous, number one, and number two would be impossible. But each one of us, each one of us need to be in tune with the Holy Spirit of Christ. We need to be like-minded with him, thinking like him. That is what brings us together in unity. It's not what we drive. It's not what we dress, what we wear. It's not what we listen to. It's not our age. It's not our hobbies. It's the thinking of Christ. It's the salvation of God. That's what brings us together. So verse 2, fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. So what are the marks of God-pleasing unity? What does genuine God-honoring unity look like? And Paul seems to say in verse 2, where he says, fulfill ye my joy, he seems to say, you have caused my heart to rejoice before... Now fill my cup of joy to the very brim. Now Paul's writing from a, Philipp, a Roman prison to the Philippian church. 
And he's, and he's remembering the unity of that church. And who are some of the people who are a part of this church? Well, the Philippian jailer and his whole family would have been a part of this church. And then the, the young lady who had, you remember, had been abused and used and an evil spirit, possessed by an evil spirit. And when that evil spirit was cast out of her, the people who owned her were so furious because they were going to suffer financial loss. She would have been a part of this church. I don't know if Lydia still would have been there at this time or not. But there would have been others who would have been saved as well. And Paul knows these people. He knows some of their history. He knows where they were. He, know that, he knows that Christ has saved them. They've enjoyed a sweet unity gathering together around the word of God, rejoicing in the salvation of God. But apparently some of that unity has been lost somewhere along the way. And so Paul's bringing this up by inspiration of the Spirit of God, and he's addressing them in this matter of unity because they were struggling with unity. Maybe they were being stretched, or maybe they were being pulled apart. And he's reminding them, this is what unifies you. This is what unifies you. In verse 2, he talks about being in agreement with Christ. He says, be like-minded. This verb is found 20 times in the New Testament, but 10 of those 20 times... That verb is found in this small little letter to the Philippian church. Ten of the twenty times. It's a big deal. He says he's talking about being like-minded. Apparently the church at Philippi had an issue with disunity. And by the way, that's nothing new. I'm not being harsh in the church at Philippi. It's something that you and I, though we have enjoyed great unity, we are not immune to disunity. And in fact, throughout the New Testament, we find the Holy Spirit of God addressing churches about unity. Leave Philippians for just a moment and turn back to 1 Corinthians. Would you? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Again, we're not far away. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And look with me, if you would, at verse number 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul here is writing to the church at Corinth. Unity comes when we think the way Christ thinks. Unity is lost when we don't think the way Christ thinks. Look at chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, and look with me, if you would, at verse number 10. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions. And the word, Greek word is schisma, or we get our English word schism from it. It means to split or to be rent into pieces. That there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together, which means to repair or restore, to mend like a net. In the same mind and in the same judgment or purpose, resolve. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, that by them of which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you, which means debate, wrangling, strife. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul. And I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. So some within the church of Corinth are saying, well, I'm, I'm with Paul on this issue. Or I'm with Cephas on this issue. Some were saying, well, I'm with Christ on this issue. <laughs> okay. And he says in verse 13, is Christ divided? And the, the question, obvious question is, why, why are you divided then? Is Christ divided? His spirit lives inside of you. Is he divided with himself? Now well, I just can't stand her. I can't stand her thoughts. I can't stand her opinions. I don't like the way. Really? Are we that junior high? 
Is Christ divided? Now, truthfully, we do disagree about some things. But what is most important? If everything changes in America, does it change God's purpose and what he is accomplishing in us? Does it change what he desires to accomplish through us? And that's kind of hard to swallow, isn't it? In these days, because not living in fear, but what is going to change? How much is going to change? Is it, is it okay for you if it changes? Is it okay for me if it... What is it? And I guess as your pastor, what, I'm, what I long to do is draw your hearts and my heart back to the Word of God. And what is true for the Christians in China and what is, is true for us in America and what is true for the believers in Europe is true for us here. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? Did any of these other men, are they your salvation? No. No, they're not your salvation. These other topics are not our salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. So worship Him and glorify Him and love Him and follow Him and love what He loves. You can go back to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I won't take time to read some of these other passages I wrote down, but over and over again throughout the Word of God, he says, again, be of the same mind. Be of the same mind. Think like Christ. We're to, we're, we're to be in tune with the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, I didn't do it, but I, I almost brought a guitar with me from home. It sits in the corner in my office at home in the case. And uh, I, I don't play it. I've wanted to learn to play it for a long time, for a couple of years. I've had it, and it sits there, right? Just pick it up and sweep and vacuum and mop under it and put it back down. That's, that's what it does. But I was going to bring it in the case. I was going to put it in the choir loft, and I was going to go to there, and I was going to get it out and take it out of the case and sit down in the front here, and I was going to strum on the guitar. Now, I don't play, and I don't know how to tune it either, and that was the point. It's in terrible tune. Some and I'll, I don't know how to tune it, but I know it's in terrible tunes. Some of the strings are like so loose, you know. I mean, this is terrible. Others are tight, you know. It's just really bad. So you strum it, it just sounds awful. And I was going to sit here, and I was going to sing a song to you while strumming it in terrible tune. Um, I think I was going to sing "She'll Be Coming Around the Mountain." This is what I woke up to this morning, early, uh, and. Uh, I thought I could sing She'll Be Coming Around the Mountain. My dad taught me that when I was little and used to cry. My mom would leave the house. We'd sing She'll Be Coming Around the Mountain. And I was going to do that. Would that offend you, Mrs. Scott, if I did that in church? Okay, no, all right. But I'm not going to. But I was going to, you know, and if we all were guitars, we all had guitars, and I said, you know what, this is my guitar, and this is the, the way it ought to be tuned. This way your guitar ought to be tuned, Mrs. Sherwood. Please get your guitar in tune with my guitar. You know, wah, terrible and we could all just strum our guitars the same pathetic, terrible way, it would all sound terrible. We might have uniformity, but it would not be what it ought to be. It'd be terrible. You know, the Lord wants me to come into tune with my Savior. And he wants you, each one of you, to be in tune with your Savior, who is my Savior. When, when, when this happens, when all of us are coming into tune with our Savior, walking in the Spirit, what we have is a miracle. 
Because God takes people from all walks of life, with all different kinds of backgrounds, at all different stages in life. Even with flesh that is wicked and vile. And miraculously, he brings a whole group of people into unity, not only with him, but with one another. And it is absolutely beautiful. And it is a miracle. And he's saying, be like-minded. Be like-minded with Christ. Think like he thinks. Have the same love. Love what he loves. He loves his people. He was willing to give his life for the world whom he loves. He loves his body. Be of one accord, it says in verse number two. One accord. And the idea is having the same passion, have the same desire, have the same ambition. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 3 in verse 8. He says, finally, be all of one mind having compassion one of another. Imagine a church like this. We're all having this way of thinking. We have compassion one of another. We love as brethren. Be pitiful with one another. I just love how the Holy Spirit had to put that in there. He knew that we had to be pitiful with one another. We had to have pity on each other because sometimes we're pitiful, okay? Sometimes I'm pitiful, and we, I, I need pity. And he tells us, be pitiful to one another. Be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing. Knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. You say, I want my family to be blessed of God. Well, then let's follow the Holy Spirit as to what he has taught us and tells us to do regarding one another. Well, I'll be, I'll be pitiful to them when they come into agreement with my view on... No. You'd be pitiful to them when they don't agree with you about something else. You'd be pitiful with one another. And he says, be of one mind. It has the, the idea of minding one thing. You see it there. Minding one thing, and what would be the mind of Christ? He, what was the glory of his Father? That was on his mind on the cross. It's the kingdom that he came to save us, ultimately to someday set up a kingdom, to rule and reign for all of eternity, to carry out the will of his Father. This was the mind of Christ, and it ought to be our mindset as well. So what makes it possible for us to have unity? Well, Christ in us makes it possible. Verse 1. What is absolutely necessary for us to be unified, and that is that we follow Christ, his mindset, the way he thinks, and we'll have unity. One last question, what does it look like when we are in agreement with the Lord Jesus Christ? How do we know if we're in agreement with Christ or not? Um, we'll look at verses 3 and 4. He says this in Philippians 2, verse 3, he says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also in the things of others. So what do I mean by agreeing with Christ? Well, he's told us what is important to him. 
And we're exhorted to strive with Christ to accomplish what he desires. Are we in agreement with him about these things? So on a very practical level, what is a child of God going to look like when he's in agreement with Christ? When someone's dedicated to what Christ is dedicated to? Are you dedicated to what Christ is dedicated to? Am I committed to what Christ is committed to? Do we desire what Jesus Christ desires? Child of God who's thinking like Christ, verse 3, the beginning part, I see he's not selfish. He's not selfish. Look at verse 3. He says, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. He's not selfish. Strife means selfishness. Self-seeking pursuit of political office by unfair methods. Self-promoting. It has the idea of selfish ambition that leads to factions and rivalry and the state of mind that leads to focusing mostly on our own agenda. You know, this type of individual is primarily concerned with himself. What he's doing is more is most important. The way he thinks is most important. And everybody ought to just come to his way of thinking. It's so, so selfish. You say, well, I'm right. And you're selfish. I'm selfish. The word strife connects a person to a ministry program, philosophy of ministry. And it's, per, it's, 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 it's them that they're consumed with. It's not Christ. That they're, that's not why they're there. It's them. It's theirs. And they want everybody to look, look at it that way. And then you see the word vainglory in the beginning of verse 3. Vainglory. And by the way, this is the only time this word is ever found in the New Testament. It means self-esteem or empty pride, the state of mind that seeks personal glory. And, and again, it's selfishness. A child of God who is thinking like Christ is not selfish. Just can't be. I also notice verse 3, the latter part, and that is this. A child of God who is thinking like Christ is humble. He's humble. Look at verse number 3, the latter part. He says this, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem or think, consider other better than themselves. Lowliness of mind which means humility of mind. Well, what, what is that? And Paul defines it, right, in verse 3, that latter part. You think each other, you consider one another to be better than yourself. And by the way, this doesn't mean we have to have the Eeyore complex. You know, I'm such a terrible person. I don't even know why anyone would want to be my friend. You know, I don't do that. Most of us who go around acting like that think an awful lot of ourselves. But we ought to esteem, as it says, one another better than ourselves. It's okay to look at one another and say, praise the Lord for my sister in Christ, my brother in Christ, the talents and abilities that God's given them. I don't have those abilities. Many of you have abilities I don't have. Many of you. So many abilities I don't have. Should I go home and covet those? No. Should I whine and complain and be uh, ornery with the Lord because he didn't bless me the way he's blessed you with opportunities that he's given you? No. I ought to be content with such things as I have, but I ought to rejoice my brothers and sisters in Christ and who God has made you to be. My heart ought to be lifted when I consider who you are, who God made you to be, and how he's using you. Look at verse number four, and I notice that a child of God who is thinking like Christ is more concerned that his fellow members, his fellow church members succeed than himself. Verse four, he says this, look not every man on his own things. Don't be consumed with your own things, but every man also in the things of others. 
I am more concerned with the success of my brother, my sister in Christ, than I am with me getting what I want or getting my way or getting everybody to think the way I think. And if they don't, I'm going to be upset. It's the opposite of Christ-likeness. You know, the enemy of, of unity is disagreement, and the foundation for disagreement is pride. At the end of chapter 1, Paul pled with the church at Philippi that they would be unified. In chapter 2, in verse 1, he told us why we could be united and how. And really, Paul's plea for unity was a plea for humility. Proverbs 13 and verse 10 says, Only by pride cometh contentions. Think about that. Only by pride cometh contention. That's the only reason contentions exist. Why can't the husband and wife get along? Because they're arrogant. That's why. They're arrogant about a certain issue. And they just won't think better of the other. It's about he or she won't come to, to agreement with me. I'm right about this. It's arrogance. Humble yourself. Be pitiful. Be courteous. We ought to do this as a church family. I'll leave you with a couple passages of Scripture. We can either choose pride, which, which, which will result in God's chastening and division within a church, or we can choose humility, which will result in God's grace, and it will result in unity. James 4 and verse 10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. 1 Peter 5 and verse 6 says, Humble yourselves therefore into the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Humility equals God's grace and unity. Pride equals God's chastening and disunity. Which one do we want? Which one do we want? Let us humble ourselves. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It talks about how he gave of himself. He obeyed his father. He came to the sin cursed earth, became a servant, a man, a very uh, uh, an individual, a creation, so to speak, a human body to do the will of his father. That is the way through everything that's taking place in our lives at this time. So let the world be divided. And let us disagree about Fords and Chevys. But let us be united in Christ's likeness, and it will happen. Let's pray together, and then we'll sing. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for how it washes over us and cleanses us. Father, I pray that as we sing this song, I pray that you'd be honored and glorified in our hearts and our lives. Father, I pray for Trinity Baptist Church. Lord, have your way in us, in our lives. There are so many things going on in this world that we do not understand. There's so many opinions and thoughts and disagreement. And Lord, we don't agree on everything, even within this local assembly. Lord, help us to each one of us follow our Lord and Savior. And may your will be done in this church. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.